You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you can get some extra content like our recent Whole Church News segment, where we talked about the events of the Church of Scotland and the events of the Southern Baptist Committee investigation that recently took place. We hope you enjoy the show. Romans 12:15-18 from the Christian Standard Bible says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what it is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Brandon, how should we understand this passage when thinking about church hurt and Christian unity? Man, that's a good one. I mean, the the main thrust of this section is just what you said there, is unity. And so when it comes to the issue of church hurt, you know, the, the passage there speaks of wanting to live at peace with one another. And I know the topic of church hurt can be a difficult one for people, both on the expressive end and on the listening end. So I would say when it comes to this passage and this topic, our goal here is to be peaceable with one another, to hear each other out for the sake of unity, and to continue to love on one another to the best of our ability. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, another roundtable discussion, and our table has gotten, I was going to say rounder, but I guess just larger, doesn't necessarily mean rounder, and uh, Will Rose was not able to join us today, your favorite Lutheran pastor, but today we have Brandon Knight, um, your favorite traveling preacher of Indiana from our last roundtable discussion, Joe Day, your favorite home church leader from our last roundtable discussion, and then newcomers to the table, we have uh, Father Jonathan Resmini, someone you guys should know from several episodes in the past, and another common return guest, uh, Chaplain Reverend Chaps Steve Lonklo of the Anglican Church. Um, guys, we have a huge topic today for our huge table. We're going to be talking about church hurt and how do we address it? How do we... You know, how do we talk to those who have gone through this, walk them through that? And um, how do we talk to the church about this issue? You know, we, we can't just ignore the internal issues either. There's a ton to discuss. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're listening and you're thinking, man, I wish I could get in there. I have so much to say about this. Uh, find us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. Uh, the link is in the show notes or you can just search it. It's called The Whole Church Group. We'd love to hear from yeah. you. Yeah, uh, we have lots of fun discussions over there as well. I share some articles and different things. Love to hear you guys take on that. We've already said what today's subject is. I'm going to go ahead and get into my favorite form of unity. We're going to try to make this one uh, as quick as can be. You guys know that I'm of the opinion that it's extremely hard to argue if you're goofy enough. If you're goofy enough, you can get around all of the splits of the church, all of them. You just have to be goofy enough. Just introduce Goofy and Max. We're in the clear. 
in today's question, I'm, I, there's part of the rules is that Joe gets to go first. So I'm very glad you were able to make it today because there is a correct answer. <laughs> if you got to have a pizza party with any one group of fictional characters, who would you choose? The two rules, Joe goes first and there are no repeat answers. But he's going to get the best <laughs> one. Yeah, he is. <laughs> if he wasn't here, I was just going to say no one can say this. <laughs> All right, Joe, tell them what is the correct answer? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to for me to think of one. It escapes me. Um, uh, of course, it's the Shellheads. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There is no other acceptable answer. That is a thousand percent true. Uh, Brandon, you want to go next on this one? Sure. I was able to think of possibly the the best runner up is the Teen Titans. I would have a pizza party with the Ooh. Teen Titans because a bunch of teenagers. Oh. It would basically be a youth group event. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, uh, Father Jonathan, do you want me to make TJ go first so you can think, or do you got one? No, I, I got one. So, right. uh, you know, because I just binged this and uh, it's fresh on my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the Stranger Things kids. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Uh, get some D and D conversation going. You know, talk, talk about the upside down. Yeah, and uh, soon on Systematic Geekology, TJ and Father Jonathan are going to talk about D and D. We just discovered that. All right. <laughs> Uh, Reverend Steve Lonclow, which fictional characters would you like to have a pizza party with? I would love to sit down with the folks of Parks and Rec. Oh, and just hang out with them all afternoon. Oh, I, I have been binge watched that show several times, and every time I return to it, it's like hanging out with old friends. So I'd love yeah, to hang out with old friends in person. I might like that just as much as I like the Ninja Turtle answer. That that's pretty good. That's a good group. Don't get me wrong, Parks and Rec is severely underrated, but. But just Ron Swanson would be great. Ooh, that, yeah, yes. it's true. Me and him would just, we would redefine what the meat lover's pizza is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I think I would go with the the next best answer, the Street Sharks. Street Sharks. Ooh, street <laughs> that's good, too. That's, that's funny. That's a funny well answer. Yeah. Well done. All right. Uh, I'm in between two here. I'm going to give both because I'm surprised no one gave this one. Shaggy and Scooby. Mm. I would okay. love, I would love that because there's no way that we're not having the most amount of pizza for that. Um, another one, the other one for me was going to be. This is going to be kind of a deep '90s dive. Rocket Power. Oh, the kids from Rocket Power. Okay, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a fun one. I like the beach scene. So, all right, guys, we are also joined by another return guest. This roundtable is getting rounder, larger, something. Christian Ashley, <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> Our silly question that Thank you jumped you, in the middle of. And the, there was going to be no repeat answers, but you didn't hear the other answers, so this is fair game. Okay. If you could have a pizza party with any one group of fictional characters that aren't the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who would you choose? <laughs> Alright, uh, when I saw this question, I'm like, how, the, how am I supposed to answer this? And I, I decided on the Knights of the Cross from the Dresden Files series. Man. That is a deep and, cut. And, and uh, to avoid spoilers, I'm going to say the original three. Cool. Okay. Good answer. All right. Good answer. I am just, I am impressed by today's onslaught of silliness and fantastic answers. That being said, let's go ahead and let's jump into this. Uh, before we get too far, I want to ask everybody, what are some of the cliches you've heard over this topic? When you're talking about church hurt, 
I'll start with mine so you guys kind of get a feel for what we're talking about. I've heard a lot of people say, you're not mad at church or God, you're mad at people. And that shouldn't be why you're not going to church anyway. That's one of the big cliches I've heard. Um, does anybody else have a cliche that they'd like to throw out about this that are maybe harmful? Maybe there's truth in it, but it shouldn't have been overdone the way it is. I don't know. Anybody have anything they wanted to throw out there? Brandon? I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is it's the woman's fault, no matter what the scenario is, is that it's always the lady's fault, not any male that probably actually caused the issue. Yeah. How she dressed, how she behaved, sure. something like yeah. that. Yeah. I've heard all those. Joe, I know I, I can't, I can't believe you haven't heard it cliche. Yeah. The main, the main one that I've heard is, you know, that, Basically what you said, Josh, that, you know, it's it's not God's fault. And so that's not a good enough reason to get upset. Like you should just kind of let it go sort of thing. Yeah. Stay around harmful people because God didn't do it to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Father Jonathan, do you have any? Yeah, I think it's it's more of this kind of just not validating the reality of whatever someone's experience is, but the... Uh, just the question, just, just, just pray about it, you know, like, it's like yeah. without giving them, without giving them any, uh, you know, attention or, or, or presence, just saying, I'll oh, just pray about it. It'll be fine. Yeah. I've definitely heard that. TJ, did you want to throw one in there? Uh, not one that hasn't already been said. All right. Reverend Locklow, have you heard any cliches you'd like to just add to the collection here? I talk to people a lot who who leave the church for reasons that they don't actually leave the church for, <laughs> and it's it's oftentimes couched behind some sort of intellectual pursuit. It's like, oh, I'm I I did all my studying, and I realize now that I don't actually believe in God. And when when you start pushing that, you realize they don't actually. That's not really the reason. It's it's usually something else. Okay, that's a cliche coming from the other side. From so the other side, one I have yeah. yeah really thought of. Yeah, that's helpful to think about too. Um, Christian, did you have any cliches you'd like to add to our collection? You're just not mature enough to understand yet. Mm. Oh, oh, that's one that's not just used for this. It's used for pretty much everything. And then refusing to tell you how you can be mature. Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. just not helpful. And just to backtrack a little. Uh, this episode was inspired by our last roundtable talk in episode 128, where the topic of purity culture came up, uh, just so people are aware of how our conversation got started or got to here. Uh, could you recap some of what you said there, Brandon? No, that was too long ago. Um, it was too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this was scheduled sooner. It but. was scheduled sooner. <laughs> and I have a kid now. And yeah. Um, if I remember right, we got on we got on this tangent of purity culture and talking about how this was a big thing in the 90s, early 2000s. It was, as it often is in evangelical Protestantism, an overcorrection. You know, you look prior to the 90s and the 80s, you had the AIDS epidemic was going on. You had teen pregnancy was at an all-time high at that time. So the church wanting to build a biblical ethic in their teens wanted to do good and emphasize the biblical teachings of purity 
but did that to a harmful extreme oftentimes putting the weight all on women you know you have to wear baggy clothing basically and it's all it basically Mm -hmm. the premise was girls have to do absolutely everything to quote protect their hearts but really so that way they wouldn't lead their brothers in christ astray who basically men were presented as a lost cause we 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 had no chance from the get-go we we can't control ourselves so it was all on the women and this is caused in millennials and in older Gen Zers a lot of church hurt, a lot of people who are a part of, not everyone, but a lot of people who are a part of deconstructing and ex-evangelicals now. Many of these instances of why they started this process can be traced back to this legitimate hurt that they had from the church of comparing them to a damaged rose damaged goods and just all of the yeah just damage that was caused by something that was intended to be good right uh so the verse a lot of people use in this part of the conversation is first thessalonians five twenty two, where the bible says we should avoid the very appearance of evil uh, how does everyone make sense of that verse in this conversation I'll start with Joe. Joe, you look excited to speak. Um, I don't know about excited to speak. Um, This is one of those instances that crops up uh, something new all the time, right? There's there's nothing new under the sun. And so we see lots of different instances of these soundbite verses taken – no context for what's actually being talked about, no context for what's actually being meant or anything that goes along with it. Um, but it preaches well. It, it, it plays well on a Sunday morning, especially mm-hmm. to specific crowds and certain people and so on and so forth. And so I think the only way that you square that circle is by chalking it up to these instances of hearing something enough times that eventually it kind of becomes accepted because there's two sides of it, right? Everybody wants to point to the guy in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to say, oh, he's the one that's, that, that's the problem. But what what about the whole generations that were just, that this is what they were raised on at home, on the, this is what was popular, things like that. And so eventually you end up with something that's generational and it comes down to something that's, that's more systematized and a little bit more nuanced and complicated than just pointing a finger at the pulpit because that's, and and that's its its own conversation in, in and of itself. Um, But, you know, especially when you consider that when, when you look at that verse you have to ask yourself, what is that verse saying yeah. in the in the context at that time? What is it saying? And it's not saying women stop wearing miniskirts. <laughs> it's not saying women wear wear baggy clothing. It's not saying men, you're despicable creatures that can't be left alone for five seconds. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? None of that is being said at this one specific time. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually heard that verse used a lot for why drinking is bad. You know, people who drink are abusers and do this other bad things, and you don't want to be like them, so don't do anything they do. Also, why I don't wear Nike shoes. 
Just yeah. do it. Valid. Yeah. Valid. <laughs> Any correlation is bad, clearly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Father Jonathan, what uh, what do you think? So I'm I, I'm oftentimes uh, combating and struggling with uh, a, a worldview. I think that underpins kind of perceptions about people. Um, where it's the church is seen as the arbiter of uh, ethical jurisprudence as opposed to a hospital for those who are wounded, uh, those who are hurt, those who have trauma. And if the church is a hospital, what, what are we being healed from? We're being healed from this sickness that is not or, or evil, not not as you know, we're not guilty. Um, and and in that regard, we're, we're, we're wounded, we're hurt, and, and we need this healing. And any, uh, and so the reason we would avoid, um, like even the appearance of evil is because, because of our wounds and our traumas, we cultivate, uh, or we've, we've experienced, um, uh, a softening or a weakening of our of our will to avoid doing it. It, it becomes almost ad- sin is addictive in a certain sense. A lot, a lot, one might make a connection between sin and evil and and, and addiction. Um, and mm-hmm. so, if we find ourselves in positions where you know there's the appearance of, I've, I've heard something that this this isn't directly related but i've heard it said like avoid the near occasion to sin or the near occasion of evil because if you don't Mm. put yourself in those situations um you you won't you won't fall into it and and the the challenge with committing sin or or engaging in something evil um is not just not just the fact that it's it's, it goes against what god would hope for us but it's also god doesn't hope it for us because it's it's detrimental to our souls. It's it it, it contributes to our spiritual illness, mm-hmm. um, uh, the 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 illness for, for which you know Christ came to heal. He's uh, there's prayers in the Orthodox Church for uh, that where Christ is the physician of our souls and bodies. Um, mm-hmm. and we are healed from this illness. And so if we don't uh, if depending on how we're approaching it, if we don't approach it approach it in a way where we we can understand how this type of evil or sin enters into our spaces. Um, it doesn't enter because people are malicious oftentimes, but the, most often it, it enters in because of a wound somewhere in their lives. And so if we can start to take a step back and, and understand uh, the, how evil has made its way into a particular person's life or a community's life through this understanding of, of the tragedy that is the, you know, the human experience because of the fall, that we have a tendency towards sin, a tendency towards succumbing to evil, uh, because we're all wounded, we're all traumatized, and we're all we're all susceptible to this illness. It's, it, it it grows like a cancer in persons, it grows like a cancer in communities, and it's just a much different approach. And it softens our it softens our hearts and allows us to hear the story uh, of both the person who's the perpetrator, you know, but also most importantly the person who becomes the victim of these. Uh, experiences of these, the, and then they themselves are traumatized because of it, and it perpetuates this trauma from one generation to another. Like whether it's you know parents to children, or like one spiritual generation to the next spiritual generation. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Brandon, how do you take First Thessalonians five twenty two into this conversation? I mean, I do have to echo a lot of what 
Joe said that, you know, have a good hermeneutic. First off, please actually understand what the rest of the the verse, not even before you get to original context, can we, you know, read the rest of the verses right around and also original context <laughs> yeah. as well. I do think that there is wisdom in uh, on that note. I do think there is wisdom in especially in areas where it is a high temptation for you to sin to avoid the very presence of evil, you know, and that is yeah. something that, you know, could be different for each one of us. You know, there are certain types of media that I do not engage because to me, it's a stumbling block. I'm not going to hold that against anyone else in this room. If they, or if they like watching X, Y, Z, whatever, but mm -hmm. I do think that there is some good in avoiding the very presence of evil if we're just going to take that verse at face value for your own personal walk. Hmm. All right. Uh, chaps, got anything to say about this? I do. Thank you. I, I think if we're going to avoid the appearance of evil, we must first know what is good and evil. And mm. yeah, uh, th that's something that's often let let not a part of this conversation because people approach this first and they think they know what is evil. And usually what is evil is what their fundamentalist grandparent taught them, right? We don't smoke, mm -hmm. we don't chew, and we don't go with boys that do, right? We don't, we don't yeah. play cards. If you smoke a cigarette, you're a sinner. You can't drink alcohol, blah, blah, blah. Now, personally, I'll, I'll speak from my own experience and from my tradition, we don't think any of those things are evil in the Anglican church. We think they can become addictions and therefore uh, take over a person's life. But I'll speak from person you know, personally. I enjoy a moderate use of tobacco, smoking pipes and things like that uh, with friends. And it's a wonderful opportunity for fellowship. And I've been around people who, when I pull out my pipe, they look at me and they say, oh, you're a pastor. Shouldn't you be avoiding the appearance of evil? And it's like, but this isn't actually evil. And so mm -hmm. if I'm not doing something that's actually evil, then I'm as far away from avoiding the appearance of evil as I need to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we start throwing judgment on people and, and what they are doing, we need to first decide if what they're doing, or, or, or rather, we need to first be, be normed by scripture, which is the thing that norms it is it is the final authority and discussion for all of these things so what is actually evil and you, you know brief look at the old testament and, and other places will will prove that a moderate use of alcohol and, and god's good good uh gifts like that is not evil in fact it's encouraged in some places you know god gave wine to gladden the hearts of man not god gave god gave wine to condemn us <laughs> so that we can yeah. do evil <laughs> but again like 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 father jonathan was saying um we are all susceptible, though, to even taking the good things that God gave us and using it for evil. So even too much of a good mm -hmm. thing can become evil, can become an addiction, can become a stumbling block for us. So yeah. that's what I would add to this conversation. Whatever else we want to say about this verse, we first need to establish what is actually good and what is actually evil. And we've talked a lot about the context and the context of this verse comes on the, the heels of a lot of good things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Paul is saying, give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And then he says, abstain from every evil or avoid the appearance of evil. 
abstain yeah. is the is the ESV translation. So, yeah. yeah. Fun fact: uh, the church that TJ and I grew up in at one point uh, condemned playing going bowling because of this verse of the appearance of evil. It's true. Also, fun fact: Gambling. Uh, the phrase "eat, drink, and be merry." Started in the Bible. So right. there you go. <laughs> right. No, we couldn't we couldn't bowl. Women couldn't wear pants or yeah. makeup or jewelry. We had a lot that was to do with that verse. A lot's changed. Yeah. Now most true. of our churches have bowling leagues. That's nice. also true. My grandfather uh, accepted bowling because of my uh, father's preaching and it ended up becoming one of his favorite pastimes. Yeah, through so through God, we can yeah. we can all get to the alleys. But it uh, is for freedom. We're allowed to bowl. Uh, Galatians right. five something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Christian, do you have anything to say regarding this? Um, that hasn't been brought up yet. I would like to bring up the idea of with using a verse like this to use to get too close to the ideas of legalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kind of touched on that as a group here. But like, it's just so easy if I say, well. You know, this person's father was an alcoholic, therefore alcohol is bad, therefore no one in my church should ever imbibe. Right? Mm. That is true, what happened was awful. But alcohol can be used in a manner that's appropriate and fun. Like, even though I don't drink that much, and I just signed uh, a form since I'm going to the seminary that says I can't have it for the next four years, I'm not touching it for those four years, just to be true to my word. But alcohol in and of itself is not wrong, and then I have to say Jesus is evil, because that's his very first miracle, is turning water into wine. And <laughs> no, he, he, he turned water into grape juice, as everyone oh, knows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I come from a Southern come on, Baptist man. background. <laughs> I have heard that one too many times in my life. <laughs> oh, man. That's, I'm I, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, would you say that legalism is one of the major contributing factors to church hurt then, do you think? I mean, as far as if we're going to trace it back, is that... Well, why do people get legalistic? It's the idea of sin is bad. We should never sin. Therefore, we're going to police ourselves to the point where instead of looking after one another, we're secret police saying, you're doing this? Oh, okay. I'm hiding my sin. You can't see it. But your sin is way more obvious, and the whole world can see it. So I'm going to look at you as a scapegoat. Mm. Well, I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm still dealing with pornography. Or, you know, I'm actually dealing with alcoholism, but, you know, no one else sees it because I do it alone. Yeah. I was just going to say scapegoat's another one of those phrases that came from the Bible in Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> do you mind if I yeah. if I jump in to marry a couple of these worlds that, have, that are being spoken about? Um, you guys, most of you guys that I've that I've done work with before in the past have heard me say hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And that took me a long time to to figure out um i found myself in the you know i would get up on my on my righteous soapbox about dogma and all of this kind of stuff a legalism and dogma are not interchangeable words fun facts (laughs) and b um not everybody that comes with with regulations is legalistic but i grew up in a baptist church that it was all about hellfire brimstone and the checklist and that that's what led me to the whole idea that's why if you hear me preach i preach so much about kingdom and relationship and that side of it because through unfortunate experience i learned that you can have all of it you can have the rules and the rags and know the words to the songs and the prayers and all of it and not have you don't need god for any of that yeah 
that it's, it's not until you get to a relationship that you actually need God to be a part of it. And whenever we, but I, I shouldn't say whenever, because I don't want to speak for every situation. But when I look to the experiences that I have with people sitting across from me, and I hear a lot of the common threads of people that sit across from me, I hear a lot of, I hold it against Christianity because X, Y, and Z reason. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's if it's somebody that that talks about the patriarchy of it all, generally speaking, if you push hard enough, eventually you're going to find somebody who was hurt by patriarchal th- thinking and approach towards things. I'm talking we're talking abuse of power here. We're yeah. not talking about things colored within the lines, sort of thing. And same deal with people that have uh, a slant against things like Christian nationalism, right? That's a huge area that I advocate against mm-hmm. because I I live in one of those true grit, red, red, white, and blue sort of sort of areas where your your rights and the American flag are one A and the cross is one B, and and I mean that in that order. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that that's why i talk so much about if if the american flag and the cross are in, both in the sanctuary then then we've got a problem on our on our hands and there's these those are just two of the easiest to reach for fruit off the tree there's a million different versions of what i'm talking about but generally if you drill down into something like this and you drill into these concepts be it through purity culture or be it through looking down on addicts or be it looking you know establishing some kind of hierarchy uh, christian i think it was you that you raised a very very valid point we want to sit here and talk about things like homosexuality when we want to sit here and talk about things like like the these different these different alternative lifestyles and things like that all while behind closed doors dealing with a pornography addiction mm-hmm. just just saying like there there's a reality to the fact that we want to put these hierarchies and things on things but that's we that we all it all eventually needs to get dug back de- back down to that root of i think it was uh, father rasmini that said you know that 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 cancer that actual sickness of sin it just in order to get there in order to get to the heart of the matter the relationship of the matter and and get to the real source material of it all we tend to have to start scraping away the layers of garbage that are put on by man or put on by circumstance and situation and experience and things like that, that have a way of taking shape into all of these legalistic things and such and such. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, Chaps, I had a specific follow-up from that to you. Um, He's talking a lot about the harm of Christian nationalism Um, as someone who is a chaplain in the U S military. How have you seen this issue? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on that specific thing. Just real quick. Don't want to get too sidetracked, but. I know a chaplain who is at a, a base chapel and he, at the end of every church service, they must sing, according to the people of his service, they must sing the Navy hymn, Eternal Father Strong to Save, which is a great hymn as far as it goes, but that's what they close their service with every Sunday. And that's what he received. That's, that's the kind of chapel that he inherited and it really frustrates him. 
uh, because he he also sees this problem of Christian nationalism. Mm. And most chapels you go to in the American military, you will see the American flag, which is which is fine, but it depends on where it goes. And so uh, I'll speak for my chapel. Um, I was actually the previous chaplain before me, and I'm really glad he did this, is he took the, the, the American flag, which was right up front, and he moved it to the back. And it's in the mm-hmm. back corner. So it's still there uh, because it is a military, American military base. So it's not inappropriate to have it. Uh, but it's not prominent. The prominent thing is the cross behind the altar. And, and it's important that we do that. And, and, and I would say in all of our churches, uh, yeah. the thing that we want to be prominent is Christ, because Christ's church is an international church. Christ's mm-hmm. church is not an American church. Yeah. So. Thank you. Awesome. You yeah, I just wanted your take on that real quick. And then another real quick before I let TJ get back to his thing. I'm still in his thunder. Um, but just. Father Jonathan, uh, something I've heard a lot. I, I'm I'm curious since I'm not sure. I've been outside of the Orthodox world my entire life, so it's always interesting to hear some of your perspectives. A lot of this, when we're talking about putting the blame on the other person, putting the responsibility on the other person, a lot of times pastors do this, uh, the Billy Graham, Mike Pence rule of never being alone with someone of the opposite sex kind of deal. Have has that played out any in your church, or what are you, what are your thoughts on that rule? Is that putting the burden on the victim too much, or what's so? What are your uh, so uh, just recently, so within the Orthodox tradition, we do have a father confessor, spiritual fathers who and we, we do confession. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a quick aside: that is again, I, I, my approach to that is less legalistic, more. Uh, like soul therapy. So I'm the, I am the, I am trained in spiritual therapy, uh, and the science of spiritual medicine. And my job is to administer through my training, uh, those, the, the healing practices that have been cultivated over the last 2000 years of Christian history within the Orthodox Church and the undivided church uh, into the present day. Um, and so I do hear confession. Now I don't go out of my way to, be alone uh, with someone, um, but I go to people's houses for pastoral care. Uh, I go if if I have a you know suspicion about you know like wrongful intentions, I'll be mindful of that. Um, but I have I meet alone with the door closed in my office. Um, I keep appropriate distance because I think that's just it's just proper to do. Um, but uh, you know there's always a concern, and I. Uh, Oftentimes, it's a it's a, a it's rooted in a fear that perhaps someone might uh, wrongfully accuse rather than the clergyman doing harm. Even though I would say the instances are, are quite skewed in the reverse that a clergyman does harm uh, to, uh, rather than uh, than someone being wrongfully accused. But it is possible both ways. Um, so, uh, but I don't uh, I don't I don't put myself in a position. Where I would say I don't I don't allow myself uh, to do what God has uh, you know uh, graced me with, which is to provide pastoral care through uh, uh, one-on-one counseling, uh, spiritual counseling, um, because uh, sometimes you know, you know it, it, that's the only way to get to the root of that matter, get to that underlying trauma, is to be present. And sometimes it requires touch. Uh, it's always it's always intentional touch, like a, a hug. 
um, uh, like a, an embrace of some sort. But but it's all every every time you transgress a, a boundary, uh, you must know why you're transgressing the boundary. Um, and I don't mean transgress in a negative sense. I just mean crossing the boundary that that you might establish for propriety's sake. Um, I, I so there it's both and, but the the rationale behind it is um, for the mutual protection of both parties involved. But ultimately, the most significant thing is providing appropriate pastoral care for the person uh, that you're engaging with. It's uh, now I wouldn't go out and have you know lunch or something. Uh, or maybe a lunch would be fine, but like I wouldn't go out to like dinner or something um, uh, with with just a person of the opposite sex alone, you know, unless there was like a relative of some sort or something like that. I'm also always dressed in my cassock, and so it's pretty clear <laughs> the purpose yeah. of my uh, of of our interactions. Uh, I'll have coffee with people, whatever, uh, but I always put myself in a you know in inappropriate positions. So, like that's that's the most important thing. But providing pastoral care is my job. That's what uh, I've been entrusted to do uh, by those who uh, who saw uh, you know those you know by God and through those who have seen fit to ordain me and place me in my parish. Um, my job is to yeah. care for whoever comes through and whatever whatever their needs are. And sometimes that requires, you know, being one on one with someone of the opposite sex, of the same sex, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious what your take on that. I know a lot of people are concerned that not allowing for that uh, inhibits females from being able to have any leadership at all. Reverend Lonclo. Yeah, I'd like to add to what Father Jonathan was saying. Um because the, the Mike Pence rule, I guess, is what we're calling it now, right? I, I, I'm never alone with a woman. I think that's a, a good rule as far as it goes when you're not a pastor. You know, so we have to know what our vocations are. So for those of us who are called to ordained ministry, there there are times when we, our, our, our job, like, like what Father Jonathan was saying, our job requires us to be alone with women because they need to confess things or, um, as what sometimes happens, they need to to uh, tell you about the abuse that they're in with their husband, and they're not going to talk about that in front of their husband, right? Yeah. So th there is a time and a place for it. But again, we, we, we need to exercise uh, uh, propriety at all times. Yeah. If my wife's listening, I'm not planning on having dinner with a woman any night. <laughs> you know? You can borrow my cassock if you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bob. So, <laughs> so have any of you ever been a leader at a church during a story of church hurt or knew something causing hurt in a church where you were in a leadership position? I'll take risen hands, Christian. <laughs> I have two. Um, one that really affected me and another I was tangential to it. Um, the first one uh, was a little after college and just uh, working in attempting to work with the college ministry after it had gone, you know, because it had affected me so well, I wanted to help out and pay it forward. But I was uh, told that my presence wasn't wanted. I wasn't mature enough. Uh, I was not the right fit for that. Now, some of that I would have agreed to at the time. But his main issue with me was also true in that if you spend five minutes with me, you're going to know I struggle with pride. I love me. Mm -hmm. I'm the greatest person in the world, and you're going to know. Mm. Yeah, but me what too. God has had to, <laughs> has to teach me over the time is that you're not as great as you think you are. Dial it back a bit. 
But what my pastor did at the time is instead of coming to say, hey, you have an issue with pride, we need to deal on that. It's like, it's not appropriate to do this. He would downplay every single accomplishment I ever had. Hmm. And as soon as I would say like, uh, like, hey, I just did this. Like I talked to this person. They were really interested. I think I planted the seed today. He'd say, well, that's great. Well, someone, so-and-so did this. And it killed me. And it killed my ministry. It'd be like, well, if I'm, and it's not that I was trying to seek praise for doing it, but like, it's good to hear you're doing a good job. Yeah. But if I never hear that, like, it just kills my motivation. Yeah. And it took balance years there. for me to overcome that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, one of the things I had to wrestle with over my life is that that man, I am sure, is going to be with me in heaven. Like, there's mm-hmm. very little doubt in my mind that the person who hurt me did this. But God made him and he made me too. And we're just as screwed up. So I can either <laughs> yeah. learn to forgive or I can hold on to it and destroy my ministry even further. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that was my first one. Uh, my second one is more recent. Uh, I had, there was uh, an elder of a, one of the churches I go to. Uh, he's a bit uh, of an abrasive person. He's, uh, you know, hey, you keep doing this. I know you're better than that. Let's work on this together. But all people hear is the you're screwing up part. Mm-hmm. And he was called uh, to go away from that position. Well, actually, he stepped down himself. But he was not brought in front of his accusers. There was no opportunity for reconciliation at the very beginning. And that caused a rift in the church that is starting to heal now but could have been avoided if we had done things correctly. We, we had come, those who had grievances against, were given an opportunity to speak with trusted people in the room, him in the room, to defend themselves and to learn, okay, I did this, how can I do better? But it almost yeah. broke an entire church because it wasn't handled correctly. Mm-hmm. I'll get off my soapbox for that. <laughs> yeah. Sound us a turn. Okay. I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm recalling prior to being ordained. This was quite a while ago. Uh, I was I was a youth director at a at a local community, and uh, and I was working with you know, the preteens, teens, and then also with the young adults of the community as well. And sometimes I would get the young adults to help volunteer with the youth activities, just because mm-hmm. you know, it's free labor basically. Um, and so. Um, <laughs> There was an instance where uh, one of our young men's and the young adult group became uh, over uh, and a young woman from our youth group became overly connected. Uh, now, she was 18 at the time and he was just in his 20s. Um, and so it wasn't a huge age gap. But for the sake of the ministry, you know, it, it's there's impropriety there because there is a, it's not just a perceived power dynamic because this is a person who would volunteer and be an authority figure at the youth event now there wasn't any impropriety i think in within the relationship necessarily but it's it it, but the that there was an impropriety based on the dynamics of the relationship the that that power dynamic in the relationship Mm -hmm. uh even if it was unintentional so what i did is i i i being the youth director i i consulted with the uh the the lead priest and uh, and also my uh, with everything in the orthodox tradition we have a blessing of having a spiritual father someone 
uh, or spiritual mothers. And some people will, will receive spiritual counsel from uh, women in the church as well. Uh, and I turned to him and asked him what his perspective was because he'd you know, been in ministry for many years. And he said, well, you as the authority in this situation uh, who have cultivated the staff need to speak to, uh, speak about that uh, to that person and, and tell them to end the relationship. Now, if, if the relationship picks back up again, once the young woman who is 18 is out of the actual ministry, that's different. But within the context of when those two ministries are happening simultaneously, um, we need to um, we need to end it. And so, uh, I mean, this was a case of, you know, by me having the guidance, the awareness that it was happening, the guidance uh, from uh, those who had the had wisdom of experience on what to do, we were able to mitigate any harm that could have been done. Not that I expected any harm, given that, you know, they were both adults, you know, by legal standards, so to speak. Um, but there wasn't any harm done to the ministry uh, as well, which could, could, you know, could cause further harm. Like if, uh, if there's a perceived impropriety within the ministry, it could do damage to the ministry, which could, you know, have, have repercussions on people's faith and, uh, and, and trust in, in the church, trust in, in Christ. Um, and so, so it was handled appropriately, but, um, uh, that could have, it could have been different. It had like, you know, the age has been a, a slightly different or something along those lines, but the circumstances provided a good outcome. Um, but it was also handled, uh, with the wisdom of those, those senior, uh, senior clergymen who I, who I defaulted to for, for advice. So, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of this can have cascading effects for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon, I believe you had a specific church hurt story you wanted to share from your home area. Yeah, this is my home area, not uh, directly affiliated with a ministry I was involved in, just for clarity's sake. There is a large fundamental church, First Baptist Church of Hammond. I don't care to give the name away. Google it yourself. Uh, First Baptist Church in Hammond, they are a large ministry. They had records in the independent fundamental Baptist church for a long time for Sunday school attendance in my hometown. The downtown is basically owned by this church. That's how big they are. They've got building on building on building. And it is everything that you would imagine a fundamental Baptist church to be. Whatever stereotypes you are thinking of, Yes, that is an accurate depiction of this church, just so you know. Um, <laughs> and in 2012, when I was graduating high school, sorry if I dated a lot of people in the room. Um, <laughs> when I was graduating high school, the pastor of the church was arrested for, um, he was giving counsel to a teenage girl who was caught having sex with her boyfriend, which is already a big issue for a fundamental Baptist church. But then he, the pastor was arrested because he, during the counseling would start taking her over state lines to have sex with her. So this went oh. on for a period of time and the Illinois border is just a mile down the road from this church. So it's not, mm. It wasn't that far away. Uh, eventually, he was, like I said, arrested for it. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because when we were originally intending to record this episode last month, it had just broke the news that he was being released from prison on good behavior early. And mm. what I have a friend who 
on a different church setting in a different area. She was the girl, basically. She was hurt by her pastor in this regard. And so I've gotten to know her, gotten to know her story, and gotten to know just the toxic behavior within the fundamental Baptist church of many of these men who molest and rape these teenagers go to prison, get out on good behavior and another church within their denomination will hire them to be their pastor almost immediately because it is that cult like mentality of this is just the world doing evil. This is the devil's work trying to put down our pastor. Our pastor is a great man. So it doesn't look like our this church in my hometown is going to hire him back. But there is, you know, he's in contact with churches in Michigan and Texas looking to possibly join a church out there. So. This is, again, it's First Baptist Church in Hammond, and the pastor's name is uh, Jack Scop. So if you wanted to get, and I say all that not to just necessarily drag them through the mud, but just so you can get your own information. You know, that was the Reader's Digest four-minute version of a very, a very bad incident that cost the church, cost you know, did so much damage to this teenager and is a continuing sickness that runs through not just this denomination. It's an issue in many denominations throughout the, you know, throughout our country. But as you look more into the fundamental world, the fundamental Baptist church world, you're going to find a lot of these stories a lot of stories of pastors abusing their power and taking advantage of children. Yeah. And the nineties, it was all, that's just the Catholics, not our churches. And now it's seen that it has been everyone this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, Catholic, uh, Catholic <laughs> Brandon, what would be your solution? Is there a solution? Is there a solution? Yeah. yeah. How do we just stop that from ever happening again? Man. Magic can wand. I can I say prayer? Can I just put the prayer card on the table? I mean, that was listed as a cliche. But right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is there's a lot that we could be doing more than what these guys are all gonna, you know, more than we're gonna be able to come up with here at the table. I think a solution is better accountability. I know we talked about the Billy Graham, Mike Pence rule. I know we've discussed that. Um, What I'm talking about is maybe more along the lines of what Father Jonathan has been talking about, of the spiritual father or mother to appeal up to. I think of, uh, what's his name? Separate situation. Mark Driscoll, I think it was, during one of the things he said uh, post all of his fall was, a lot of he thinks that if he would have had if he would have sought out better discipleship in his life prior to getting more into ministry he thinks things would have been different you know there is something to having a spiritual family a wiser mother or father of the faith guiding you and i think that is a part of this there's a lot of parts to this though mm-hmm. yeah 
and uh, and all the Chris, hands go up. Yeah. <laughs> Christian's hands been up for a minute. I know his arms getting tired. It is. So, uh, judging from what you've been saying, Brandon, I kind of think I know the answer to this. Yeah. But has he shown any signs of repentance? Has he shown any signs of what I did was wrong and I want to move on and actually serve Christ in a better manner? Oh, of course not. Of course okay. not. There's that, that, I figured that was the answer, but I wanted to be wrong. Yeah. I know. I he may have yeah. the more I think about it, he may have put out some type of I'm sorry I got caught type of statement, <laughs> but there was no please forgive me, I know I have sinned type of statement whatsoever. Yeah, that's another cliche we get. We're all sinners. I hear that one a lot. That's not an apology, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, because like there should be, what's what I'm looking for, uh, accountability for past sins. But at the same time, we have to recognize that we are people. We're going to sin. But if I'm following mm-hmm. Jesus, I'm going to seek repentance. But it sounds to me like mm-hmm. that's not happening. So we can't always be defined by one action we've ever taken unless we choose to say, oh, it wasn't a mistake. I did what I wanted to do. It was fine. And it sounds like that's what's happening in this scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Jonathan? Uh, quick response uh, to that. Um, and then and then, uh, then a, a, a response to the question of like, what can we do? Just uh, be mindful that I, I, I would say that there are, uh, it, even with repentance, that can reorient ourselves in our relationship to Christ and the community. But it doesn't, it doesn't preclude us from saying that perhaps that person should not be returning to a role like that, even with repentance. Um, if, uh, you know, yeah, I can repent, be part of the church, find my way there, but it doesn't mean I need to take on a leadership position because, uh, mm. you know, I, 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 in my own way, have sinned in ways that have done harm uh, to people. I mean, that we all do that unintentionally or intentionally. Um, but if I did something that caused enough harm, uh, it would be okay for a community or for us as believers across Christian traditions to say there are things that can preclude us from continuing in that type of ministry. It doesn't mean that we yeah. can't serve Christ, but it does mean that we, we may not we may not be uh, the place in, or the, the, the role that we ought to be serving him in. Uh, and then the response to the question of what can we do, one of the things that our archdiocese has done, that's the whole archdiocese of America, uh, especially with youth protection, um, because mm-hmm. of, of, you know, concerns about, uh, about issues like the, the one that Brandon brought up, but, you know, just in general, not just with pastors, but with youth leaders, uh, taking advantage of, you know, grooming young people and engaging in, uh, every person in the archdiocese who works with youth has to go through a training uh, program. They, they're background checked every year. They go through the training, uh, to, uh, uh, to spot, um, you know, uh, predatory behavior every two years. No, it's background check every two years. Every year they go through the training, uh, for how to spot uh, like a video presentation and they have to take a test. And if they don't pass, they, you know, they have to retake it. Um, and it's, it is to arm, uh, the people with the training to recognize the signs of potential abuse and the signs that someone has been abused. Um, and so that's, that's, that's something that every single person, whether it's someone who serves food for our vacation Bible school uh, or someone who's directly working with children as, um, uh, at, you know, as Sunday school teachers or youth, youth directors or volunteers, everyone goes through that training 
so they can recognize wounds and hurts, but also so they can be not to cause us to be like always on the lookout for someone uh, to be doing wrong, but to be aware of the tendencies of those who tend to do wrong. Uh, and it, it's it's to call attention to it. it. It's not to say like, you know, oh, you broke the rule. There's something wrong. Obviously, you, know, you have malintention. It's to, you know, uh, allow for the appropriate boundaries to be put in place so that harm mm-hmm. is less likely to mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Our church does that too now, and it's Twice. very annoying, which is a good thing. <laughs> I I yeah. like that a lot, though, because it's not training to say, here's what you should not be doing, but it's to make you vigilant, which I like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I think, is a healthier approach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, you had your hand raised. Yeah, you know, like like Brendan said, this is such a nuanced sort of thing that has so many different layers to it as far as things that we can be doing and things like that. But the reality is so much of this time and and, and I, I I include myself in saying this, so much time is wasted at looking at the wrong aspects of something like this. It's easy to make Baptist jokes. It's easy to make Catholic jokes. Mm-hmm. It's easy to make denominational quips and comments and have that be the object of the focus and all of that. And the more time that I spend doing ministry work and the closer that I get to stepping into a I jokingly call it a pulpit position, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and all of that. The more I see that it's it's just different perspectives from the same core thing. And I'm glad that it came up in all of this because ultimately when you have something like church hurt, it tends to be systematized and generational. People mm-hmm. – like I said, hurt people hurt people. And if if we can normalize a culture where men can disciple other men, where people can disciple other people, and it's not a course, it's not a Saturday morning coffee, it's it's not it's everyday life. It's it's just it's baked into the fabric of doing life together then maybe we can start to learn from each other and build each other up and be able to come together to strengthen one another when these times of temptation come. You look at somebody like Ravi Zacharias, right? Mm. A very complicated situation because for for somebody like him he is he has spread the gospel far and wide and he has done all of these things that to so many people still qualify him and but but we have to have this conversation of you know don't rock the boat otherwise you may hurt other people's salvation well if we're if we're hurting other people's salvation by taking shots at a guy who did wrong mm. then we've got a much much larger issue on our hands and the thing that you you look at 
his story in particular, and I only use him because, again, it's it's an easy to grab for fruit. Yeah. But there's tons of examples. You, Mark Driscoll came up. He was another guy that falls into this category of next to no accountability, unchecked power. And we're all human, right? My My struggles might not be your struggles, might not be somebody else's struggles. Eventually, the larger the, the, the larger the, the, the viewing scope gets, eventually you will find people with similar struggles and things like that. And sure, but each one of us have points where we do struggle. Mm-hmm. And if you leave a human unchecked with all of this power, eventually they're going to take that and run in the completely opposite direction. That's been happening for time of memoriam. Yeah. We have that Bible that's biblical. You know what I mean? And, and so maybe if we can develop these healthy boundaries and, and, and healthy relationships, you know, there's something to be said, whether you call it a, I'm uh, I'm sorry, Father. I forget exactly the phrase that you that that you use for what the position looks like within your system. But but there's tons of different systems. There are tons of different names that it can go through. It's it's having somebody who you're walking alongside to be able to keep you keep you accountable to your word to your action. At that that's. That's just healthy, mm-hmm. it, regardless of whether or not they've got a formal title or it's just your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just healthy behavior and practice. Yeah. And I think we've gotten far enough away from that 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 looks foreign to have somebody who is discipling you and keeping you accountable and having those things. But I, I'm as far as a human, a, a human element. Remedy. I don't know if remedy is the right word, but yeah. it's what I'm going. With. That to 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 being able to put a to, to put something in place to help as a checks and balances system to something like this from going going on. Then I I mean that's that that's probably as best as we can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and God often, whether it be for the country of Israel or the church that was established in Acts, you know, God established systems like this. Um, one of my go-to verses, just in general, one of my favorites, it's in Zechariah 4, there's this, um, I guess metaphor might be the right word, where there's two olive trees pouring oil into lampstands that are pouring oil into lamps that are pouring oil into the candles. And it's this image of pouring down one to another accountability that Father Jonathan and Joe is talking about. What's fascinating to me is how we downplay a lot of this. You know, we talked about Robbie Zacharias or Mark Driscoll. We act like those are just, you know, outliers or, you know, the recent SBC report, we're already trying to downplay that church two was made into, you know, that's just an extension of me to those liberals. Uh, right now there's a, the, one of the, a study that Barna group did shows that one out of four churches, only one out of four have a screening process for their staff. And we wonder why this stuff happens. I mean, it's crazy to me. Instead of downplaying, I want to ask everybody, what is one practical action that we could do where we're actually seeing and addressing this issue instead of just downplaying it? Um, Christian, could you go first? Yeah, Put sure. you on the spot. Um, I mean, I'll use, <laughs> <laughs> I use one of the, the churches I go to. We have a ruthless 
background check in, in place to prevent things like this exactly from happening. And like, that's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to, you're going to have to learn your laws. I mean, mm -hmm. that takes work, but guess what? I mean, when we started, got involved with ministry, we agreed to work. And if I really want to work effectively, I need to protect the people under my charge, the people who aren't under my charge, the people who are there to receive Jesus, to learn about him. And if we can't even keep them safe, why would anyone even come? Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. um, Joe, do you have a single, like just a tangible thing we could do instead of downplaying? How can we just address this? Um, I, Authenticity. Um, I think one of the biggest things that that is craved today is authentic conversation from our church leaders. And part of that is listening. Mm -hmm. Part of that is allowing for people to be able to speak. And part of that is understanding that sometimes we can't put a nice little flowery phrase in response to it. We can't, we just can't do it. I can't cupcake certain things away, but what I can do is point you to a hope that counterbalances anything that this world has to offer. Yeah. And that just has to be okay. You know what I mean? And, and being able to, I, I'm in a, I'm in a unique position out of the group here because a lot of the people that come through my doors are people that have left mainline church services for one reason or another. A lot of times the home church movement kind of acts as a, as a, as a net to catch people that have fallen from, from other denominations and things like that. And so I, I, in a lot of ways hear a lot of the, a lot of the worst that that has to be offered from the opinions of people that are leaving certain churches and things like that. And, and that's hard. That's hard to counterbalance because I am anybody who knows me knows I, I am not, I'm not short on opinions as far as uh, denominations and divides and all of those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the one through line that I seem to always find is that these people are craving to be heard, mm -hmm. that they feel like they have not actually been listened to yeah. by people, by organizations and things like that. And I think if we stop and listen, that strengthens so many different aspects, so many different avenues of this from getting a better understanding to the people of the people that tend to abuse their power. Yeah. To what does life look like for the person who has been abused and and everything in between, because these are people that have have lived this. And and if we can if we can open those doors up, then I think we in that moment show more of Jesus than if we have some nice response cooked up that we know works or know makes people feel better or something along those lines. Yeah, definitely. Um, Reverend Lunklow, did, did you have anything that you think maybe we could do better to address the situation instead of downplay it? I mean, it, I think listen is just such a good one. It's hard to follow that. 
I think we would all agree on, you know, spiritual oversight is a good thing. We've already talked about how, how some celebrity pastors uh, perished because they didn't have spiritual oversight and they were sort of uh, personalities run rampant. Um, And so spiritual oversight, I think is always good. Having the father confessor tradition is, is very helpful. Um, So I I will add to that though. um, Knowing our own sinfulness and the people who get abused are abused by clergy usually, or, or people of leadership. And that is every one of us. We are people of leadership in our various churches. And while I can't stop abuse that's happening in a church three states over, obviously, I can be prudent and vigilant to make sure that I am not abusing people. And part of that is knowing my own sin and knowing that I'm just as capable of becoming a spiritual abuser as some of the worst stories that we hear. And so keeping that in the forefront of my mind and repenting of that sin and, and uh, as, as we started uh, avoiding the appearance or the form of evil and uh, staying away from those situations. And if I see myself going down a road that's leading me to abuse in some way, whether it's a position of authority of speaking down to people in pride or uh, as we've also talked about tonight, sexual abuse or whatever it might be, um, don't come down that road, right? But but <laughs> I, I have to be aware enough about my own sinfulness to choose to not go down that road and then to reach out for to for help from other uh, brothers and sisters in the faith and fathers and mothers of the faith who, who can support me. Yeah, sounds like a very TJ answer. How to stop abuse? Don't do it. All right. <laughs> Uh, Father Jonathan, did you have anything um, as far as practically how we can, instead of downplay, address the situation? You know, they I already think, added a bunch, so. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, and I, I, this this might require fleshing out. We don't have to flesh it out now. But um, the church has existed, you know, from the time of the apostles to today. And it continues by God's grace to be the place in which his grace is manifested to his people. Um, and though we are called to share the gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, the conquering of sin and death, um, we don't in every instance have to defend God, defend the church to uh, to those who were wounded by it. You, that can come by relationship. I think Joe talked a lot about relationship. All pastoral ministry is relational ministry. And if I'm not, if I'm not min, like engaging, giving attention to the person who is hurt, who is wounded, if I am not uh, addressing uh, systemic sin in, in in my congregation or in you know our jurisdiction or our diocese, if I'm not doing that um, and giving voice to those who have have no voice because of you know power dynamics and 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 tendencies towards abuse and unchecked power and authority of of of, of our leaders. Um, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing what I'm called to do as as a as a church leader. Um, but 
my first response ought not be to defend God and defend the church. My first response is to be with the person who's sitting in front of me, the people, if it's more than one, who are sitting in front of me, and to minister to them. And if I am the one, the one that has caused harm, to have self-awareness enough to recognize and not be too prideful to say, I've, I've come up short, and to apologize for the wounds that I've inflicted or that I'm um, uh, culpable for, um, because of the system that I'm placed in, to acknowledge it, to, 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 um, to validate the experience. And I always tell this to people, uh, and across the board, because again, I, as I said, I, I do can hear confessions. And for me, I, I place it in the context of, of, of soul therapy, of, of, of spiritual medicine. I, I very much am informed by, you know, pastoral psychology and saying that, we, you know, whether, whether or not the experience that someone has is true it's real yeah and, and and to say that is real and that is your experience and that is real we can get to true we can get to what you're believing about that experience after but until that person feels heard embraced by in the way that god himself christ would would would, would be with those who were wounded um we can't say anything to defend the church, and we and, and we, ought, we ought not, because if that's our first if that's our first response, then uh, then we've forgotten the, we've forgotten the relational aspect, the very thing that Christ did. He walked with his disciples. He he preached to his disciples. His disciples rested on his breast. He he was present to them, tangible, and um, and, and his his first task was not to defend the church it wasn't to, to, to defend God his first task was to offer a healing and presence to those who were in need and so that's how we that's how we respond to it prioritize that over defense of something that need, need not be defended God can take care of that himself he, he will find ways to you know he will make his church preserve as he has for 2,000 years yeah yeah that's um something that I've really want to talk about. We always queue up the next round table on, on each discussion. I really want to get into that. When is it the difference of real and true people's hurt is real. doesn't matter if it's true or not. Sometimes let's address that. Joe, you had your hand up. Yeah. I don't know about the rest of you guys, you know, like, like, um, uh, Steve said that, that the, we all are in some way, shape, or form leadership, right? I don't know about the rest of you guys, but when when somebody pointed me in the right direction and gave me truth and I started down this road of learning truth, well, you might as well have turned both water faucets on full blast. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is what the Bible actually says. And you fire hose people with with truth. Um, especially in react in, in for me in reaction to all of the nonsense of the last couple of years. Um, and I am, God is very actively showing me that Paul, Paul knew what he was, I say this tongue in cheek, but Paul knew what he was talking about when he talked about being all things to all people, you know, that th there is, there is something unenviable about those of us that step into this it's it's not an easy road 
what I mean, don't get me wrong. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Like the, this is this is a non-negotiable at this point. But that does not make this an easy process because your first your first obligation is to hear where the person's at, and then your second obligation is to is to take that. And take the truth, and take what is true, and take play 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 within the within the realms of what is true. I'm not saying yeah. don't, but but present that in a way that that is helpful to the other person. Yeah, you know, being blasted with what is true and what is real and all of that might might, might not be what is needed in that particular moment. And and stopping to to contextualize truth into an appropriate situation to where you are at is oftentimes going to be the difference maker as to whether or not somebody actually hears you and actually feels heard themselves. We are dangerously close to just going ahead and starting the second round table right here. I, I will say this is why I think this merits another discussion. I've heard a lot of name calling from leaders in the church justified with this. I was just speaking truth. Like, oh, no, they really are that. I will leave that alone for that next round table. I'm sure we will do it. <laughs> so we wanted to move on to our God Moment segment, which you've all been on the show before. Hopefully you remember what that's like. If you're listening to the show for the first time, what an episode to start on. Uh, absolute <laughs> mammoth of an episode. <laughs> Uh, yes. We just like to take a minute to share what all God's been up to with us recently by sharing a blessing or a challenge, whatever, really, moment of worship. I always make Joshua go first, so our esteemed guests have enough time to think. I think after that, we'll just go alphabetically by last name. Yeah. Good luck with that. Josh, do you have a comment um, for us? Yeah, I... Th this, this one's weird, but uh, so recently... I got to go to Boone, North Carolina for Father's Day. My dad wanted to get out of town. And we went to the Mass General Store, which my wife's like great, great, great grandparents helped start. So it was really cool kind of connecting part of her history. And my parents actually bought a Christmas ornament that had our last name on it from that store for us. And it's just kind of cool to see our two histories kind of colliding in that way. My last name is Noel, but it's spelled Noel for those who do, did not know. <laughs> I love Mass General Store, especially that one. It's awesome. Bought one of it my favorite really cool. knives there. I got one of my favorite sodas there. It's butterscotch beer. Turns out it's great. Yeah. So uh, I will go next. Close friend of mine, uh, been struggling to get a job recently. But there is one, one group of people who will always take you, and that is the U.S. National Guard. So great for him. Praise God. You know, finally getting back to what he was, what he really likes to do. And, uh, it's just actually really good news. I know it made it sound funny, but yeah. good for him. So, Christian, do you have a God moment for us? Indeed, I do. Uh, just yesterday, um, so I'm going into, I'll be going to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the fall. Uh, and that costs money. And I got an email from uh, both of my pastors. And they said, hey, you didn't ask for this, but here's some money. We're going to put some for this semester, some for this semester. And that's what I woke up to. So right. I nice. felt pretty good 
after that. Yeah, praise God. And uh, tomorrow, God. Uh, if I can cheat and have two. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, uh, I'm having the opportunity to preach tomorrow at um, my other church. Uh, and it's been a year since I've done that. So I'm hoping to be faithful in that. So I'll take that as another God moment of humbling. Praise All God. Right. Joe, we'll be praying a... for you tomorrow. Thank you. Joe, do you have a God moment for us? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, walked through, am, am walking through some, some really difficult themes around Father's Day and stuff like that, but I was able to share my story and start to develop some resources for guys that that don't otherwise um exist yeah you know uh being able to start to develop materials and network with with men that have lost children um is something that is is very near and dear to my heart and something that does not really exist for a variety of reasons that i will not go into right now Mm-hmm. By the fact that this opportunity has come up is absolutely a God thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Chaps, do you have a God moment for us? I do. Uh, I am in the middle of an international PCS. So that is a permanent change of station where I am leaving my current duty station. And I got orders to my next duty station. And my next duty station is Japan. Uh, so okay. I will wow. be yeah, serving as a chaplain in Japan. The administrative nightmare of moving my family and all my me, me, my family and everything else, household goods, new orders, overseas screening, medical screening. There's a lot of details that goes into this big, huge move on top of selling a house. Um, it's easy to start grumbling and complaining about the small stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a friend of mine who is in a similar situation. He's he's transferring to Alaska, uh, so not international, but you know, a still pretty big, huge move, going through a lot of the same things I'm doing. And uh, uh, he was reminded of the Israelites uh, in the prom uh, before they got to the Promised Land when they were traveling through Moses, and they were grumbling and complaining on all this stuff. And and apparently, that's what he was reading in the Bible. And he said. You know, the Lord spoke to me this morning and said, uh, how often have I, have I been like the Israelites where right after I see the great miracle of, of mm-hmm. God uh, setting Moses and the Israelites free through the, through the Red Sea crossing and destroying Pharaoh. And, you know, right on the heels of that amazing miracle, they're grumbling and complaining. And he's like, yeah. I'm not going to grumble and complain anymore. And here I am, the chaplain. And, mm. and like that just like <laughs> conviction to the heart. And I was like, oh, man, this is exactly the word I needed. So I have uh, done, you know, everything I can to remind myself that there's no need for grumbling and complaining, that uh, I've never gone without and God's always been with me every step of the way. Uh, And so even in the midst of this international move, um, I'm sure everything will work out in his time the way that that he needs to work it out. As the Psalms say, he will uh, he will make my paths straight. And so I can rest in that promise rather than trying to micromanage everything. Amen. <laughs> it, it, it actually I needed that too. Sense. I changed my God moment to hearing Steve Lane close God. <laughs> <laughs> right. So 
Last but not least, uh, Father Jonathan Resmiti, you have a God moment for us. Uh, I would say I am least, but that's okay. Um, I'm like five, uh, six. You're definitely taller than me. <laughs> I'm six foot. Well, uh, like least is greatest in the kingdom. I think he's just trying to get ahead of us. <laughs> I, I, am, I am very competitive, you know. Uh, I can't. There's nothing pastoral, nothing um, uh, in in that regard. I mean, God speaks, of course, through His Word and and, and beautiful things, but. My my story to, uh, for this week was a miracle that I, I am an uncle yet again. Uh, oh, my brother God. had his fourth son. <laughs> all uh, it's uh, it's Silas, Tobias. These are all the four sons: Silas, Tobias, Elijah, and Jonah. So oh. all biblical, nice. good biblical yeah, name. Uh, he's, he's Jewish. Yeah, his, his, oh. he became Jewish with his wife, but it's okay. And. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, next week I'll finally get to meet my niece, who was born a few months ago. Uh, my family all lives in the Northeast, so I haven't had a chance to to meet my new niece. But um, so that'll be. Um, uh, we're having our our giant uh, uh, Greek Orthodox Archdiocese clergy laity conference, our big uh, biannual conference. And uh, because it's in New York City this year, uh, I'm going to be driving up to Boston first, spending some time with family, and going to the conference and then going back up to spend some time with family. So uh, my my brother, who's just had the baby this week, they, they live in Missouri. So I don't know when I'm going to be able to meet that baby. But hopefully soon. Awesome. Hopefully whenever they awesome. leave Missouri. So you don't have to go. <laughs> also, also, since Father Jonathan has last been on, he has, uh, I, I don't know the, the right word. He has become um, uh, the, the, the grandfather of <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Uh, I am the interim dean, uh, 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 interim because it's it's not official yet. But I took over the parish. Okay, uh, so, yeah. That's uh, what those I was listening to. and those who <laughs> present, please pray for me. I am now one of two priests at a parish of 1,100 families. Uh, so uh, please pray uh, for for everyone's needs to be met. Thank God we have a beautiful staff of volunteers, uh, a youth director, a great office staff. Um, but it's a big community with a lot of needs. And so please pray for us that we're able to meet those needs and that no one, uh, um, no one falls through the cracks, um, of, of my shortcomings. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend or an enemy or a cousin. Yeah. Anyone you want to share it with. That's, you know, that would be helpful. This has only gone five minutes longer an episode with two gnolls. So if you're wondering how much gnolls talk, it's about as much as seven ordinary people. <laughs> no. If you would like to seven hear... Seven ordinary... Or five ordinary pastors, one ordinary person. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you would like to hear... Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to go through all this. If you'd like to hear more from myself, TJ, Joe Day, and Brandon Knight, we're all over and at Systematic Ecology. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be on there soon. We're on uh, systematicgeekology.org. You can hit host, find any of our names. Um, Father Jonathan's church also has a website. That's the Greek Orthodox Holy Trinity. Is it Cathedral or Church of Charlotte? It's Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Cathedral. You can find us at htgo.org and on YouTube and Facebook. I was pretty close. Um, Christian, Reverend Steve, is there any place they could find you guys other than just right here? Um, but I also, when I update, have another podcast, uh, Starving Writers Guild, uh, where I discuss uh, the Marvel comics and uh, manga that I'm reading right now from Shonen Jump. 
Uh, other than that, uh, you can find us at starvingwritersguild.com. That's where uh, my books, John Erdley and uh, Barbara Erdley's books are as well. And I think that's about it for me. Awesome. Uh, Reverend Lonclo, anywhere they can find you or they just got to pray for you? <laughs> no, I, I'm on YouTube. Uh, you can search my name, Stephen Lanclos. Lanclos spelled L-A-N-C-L-O-S. Stephen spelled with a V. And then I'm also on Anchor FM, uh, anchor.fm slash reading dash Genesis. Uh, to my reading Genesis project where I taught verse by verse through the book of Genesis. And just finished posting all the episodes this morning. Uh, it turned out to be a 44 episode series, verse by verse. Can't wait. Genesis. Or you can't wait. Join the Navy. Get stationed or you can join, join the Navy. Get stationed yeah. with me. There you go. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's a good idea. <laughs> so, a couple packs there for you. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. If you do enlist in the Navy, Tell them I sent you. Pretty sure I won't get anything for a referral. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, coming up, we'll be interviewing J.R. Martin, pastor of Somerville Family Worship Center in South Carolina, about his book, Spiritual Hiccups, Trump for Longman III, an Old Testament scholar from Yale University, about his new book, Revelation Through Old Testament Eyes, Chad M. Mansbridge, pastor of Bayside Church in Southern Australia, about his book, You Can Handle the Truth. And then at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. He doesn't know that, but he'll figure it out. So mm-hmm. it's it's cool. Completely fine. When he finds out, hopefully he accepts and he will join us on the show. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Next week, we will be interviewing my godfather, Pastor J.R. Martin, about his most recent book, Spiritual Hiccups. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast for as little as $3 a month. Thank you for listening.